You're listening to GBA's audio education series with me, Tiffany Voorhees. And me, Ryan White. This series came about when we discovered some really great audio education content on the geoprofessional.org website, known as GBA. Since Ryan and I are members of GBA and both part of their podcast committee, we quickly realized that this content needed to be shared via podcast. The content we found was designed for one-on-one listening by field representatives and as material to spur discussion during formal training sessions. GBA uses dramatization and professional actors to set the scene for situations you will encounter in the field. But wait, there's more. Tackling topics like effective report writing or duty of care can be... A little boring? (sighs) Yes, but let's not get too punny. While GBA did a great job of telling engaging stories around these tough topics, Ryan and I add some personal lessons learned from each of our many years of experience in the industry, both as field reps and technical leaders. That makes us sound old. Well... So what are your initial thoughts on this one? I thought it was good. A little bit of a rehash of some of the other content, but it's timely for us because we've been talking about how to keep track of what's been done a little bit better in order for other people that end up having to go out to a site to know what's going on. It was a good refresher and reminder. Nice. Same here. Yeah, I thought it was going to rehash most of the stuff that we talked about in the last episode, but... It didn't, and it had some good points, and it was timely because we're preparing for our all-hands annual session where we get everybody together and kind of go back through some of the basics. So it was a good reminder for us, too. Well, let's go. Hey, Tyler, how you feeling? Hey, Charlie. Better. What was it, one of those 24-hour things? I don't know. The doctor says it might have been something I ate. Well, thanks for coming out today. We really need you. I hope I make it. I threw up twice this morning, and I... Tyler, Tyler, I don't want the details. I can pretty well imagine what's going on. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. But speaking of details... I don't like it when you do that speaking of stuff. Well, yesterday I went to two of your sites, and Jamie went to three. Was everything okay? Well, Tyler, I gotta tell you... I didn't really know what to look for. What? Didn't the super tell you what to look at? Yeah, but... But what? Well, what didn't I see that I should have? Charlie, you ain't making any sense. Try this. I needed to be briefed about stuff that only you know. Given everything that's already gone on, what should I have expected to see at that site? In other words, if you saw what I saw, would you have been surprised? Concerned? What? Oh, I get your point. I tell you what's a good habit to get into. That's writing right on your dailies what you'd expect to see the next time you're on site. In case I get sick or something. Well, that, but in case you don't have a perfect memory, too. That makes sense. And here's something else. What? What did I see that I shouldn't have? Now, wait a minute, Charlie. No offense, but if I had psychic powers, I wouldn't be working for you. I'd be playing the horses or buying stock. I think the horses would be safer. Ain't that the truth. But I'm not asking you to be a psychic. What I'm saying is, first, consider who you're working with. Like? 
Well, on that one job with Lewis, that's an okay project. Lewis is a good contractor, and Kevin's a good super. We've worked with them before. They want a good result. But on the other job... With Maldon? Right, Maldon. You know who they are. Oh, well, not really. I've never worked with them before. They're not good? Every job with them is the same. They lowball their bids so they can buy into the project, and then they look to make their profit by cutting corners, looking for changes, and filing claims. They're just nasty. Oh. Didn't anyone brief you on that? No. Who's the PM? Nancy Goldstein. She's new. She didn't seem that new, Charlie. I'd say she was around 30 years old. <laughs> That's a good one. You know, I'm glad you're feeling better, Tyler. A little. Uh, anyway, you know what I mean. She's new to the firm, so she may not know the way Doug wants things done. But she's been working in this area for the last three or four years, so she's had to have heard about Maldon. But that's really not the point. How so? Well, even if she didn't know anything about them, she should have tried to find out. She could have asked others in the firm or friends at other firms. Heck, she could have asked me. I would have told her. Well, she didn't mention anything because she didn't talk to me. Well, what'd she say when you asked? Asked what? For a briefing. I didn't ask for a briefing. Why not? Because she's a PE and I'm a tech. You're not a tech. You're a field representative. You represent Nancy in the field and she is personally and professionally responsible and liable for everything you say and do. She's got just as much at stake in briefing you as you have. More even. Geez, Charlie, lighten up a little. We're all pretty busy, you know. That's just the point, Tyler. It's when you're busiest that you can least afford to lighten up because when you're doing things as fast as you can or when you're tired or when you have some of the younger folks doing the work, that's when you're going to make the mistakes. What are those numbers? If you have to defend a claim, it's going to cost you about $50,000 in time and another 50000 in cash, if you're lucky. That's $100,000. That's equal to the profit we make on a million to $2 million worth of service. Haste? Makes waste. So I need to insist. I must have a briefing. Absolutely. You need to get your questions answered. What questions? Remember what I taught you about effective reporting? Sure do. Who, what, when, where, how, and why. Exactly. Ask the project manager the exact same questions. So what's the project? Right. Is it a school, a highway, an office building, a bridge? Exactly. So for when, I'd ask about the schedule and what happens if we have to do adjustments or if there's rain or whatever. You're on a roll. Where is pretty obvious. Yes and no. It's more than just the street location. You're right. Where on site is the work going on that I'm looking at? Where do I have to be at certain times? That brings in when again. And it also brings you a heads up if you're supposed to be in two places at the same time, which is something that can happen when it's a particularly large job or complicated. I get it. This is neat. Good. What about who? Who's the client? Who's the contractor? There's more than that. Who's the owner? Who's the owner's rep? Who's the architect or civil or structural or whatever? And? Who am I going to be looking at and who's in charge? Like, what happens if I have to work with that garrison guy again? Butch? Yeah, Butch. Well, seeing what happened last time, you'd better find that out sooner rather than later. So I could say, look, I have a problem with this guy. I think it would be better if you could assign someone else. And I'll tell them what to watch out for. Good. And then you'll tell me that we can't assign someone else, so I'm going to have to be especially careful and yada, yada, yada. Or be especially thick-skinned. Yeah, I hate that guy. How? In the worst way. No, I mean how. That's your next question. So that would mean how are we supposed to do what we're assigned to do? What's the scope? What kind of tests? What kind of equipment? Do we have everything we need? Do we need to get anything fixed or calibrated or replaced or rented? 
and how you're going to go about implementing the scope. Are there any special requirements? What about why, Charlie? Well, we're there to evaluate conformance with specs. We're there to help ensure public health, safety, and welfare. We have an important role to play. But we also need to know why from other people's perspectives. The client may see us as vitally important or as a necessary evil. You can get that out of the answers to who. And some contractors see us as being there to bust their chops, while others appreciate us. And there are some guys who know exactly why we're there, and they don't care. They still try to cut corners. Like who? Oh, I don't know. You ever run into Skip Elliott? Skip, sure. He's the super on one of the jobs that Jamie looked at. He's a good guy. Gave you a ball cap, didn't he? Well, yeah. A couple of tees, too, I bet. Yeah, he did. And a windbreaker with their logo on the back. Yeah, those are really cool. How'd you know? What, are you watching me? Don't have to. That's why it's so important to share what you know. Good old Skip's been doing that for years. He's really nice, and he ingratiates himself with you. And then when you're not looking, he cuts corners like crazy, and he looks to you to give him the benefit of the doubt. Oh, you can trust me, Charlie. You can trust me, Tyler. I put the rebar in that wall. Hey, and how's that windbreaker doing for you? So I shouldn't have accepted that stuff? Every firm's got a different policy on that, Tyler, and some that don't should. Doug says that a cap or a T is okay, providing we reciprocate, but not more than that. You don't want to feel like you owe anybody anything except for our clients and the public, period. You have to be able to say easily, I'm sorry, I have to report that you didn't wait for me. If the owner wants to accept it, that's fine, but I can't accept it just on your say-so. What's the matter? Don't you trust me? That's what he'll probably say. Oh, sure. And he'd act like he was really hurt, him having given you that ball cap and all. Gosh, how could someone so nice be dishonest? So what do I say? It's not a matter of trust, Skip. If it was me and my job, hey, I'd trust you, no question. But I have a client, and a client is the one who's paying me to be trustworthy. I report what I see, and if I don't see it, I have to report I don't see it. You know that. So I should give the stuff back? No, but give them some of ours. So how do we get this information out? I mean the information about the project and the answers to who, what, when, and so on. Information about contractors and people. We're looking into it now. Some firms use an extranet where they keep project files, and some of those files are generally accessible and some aren't. Or we can get a free chat room type setup from companies like Yahoo, or we can do it all by email. The more prepared we are, the better we can do. It's always about communication, isn't it? Well, not always, but often enough. So I gotta insist on a briefing. Absolutely. How are you supposed to do as good a job as you're capable of doing without having more knowledge? Forewarned is forearmed. And we have to develop methods of documenting our ideas and sharing our lessons of history. Because, uh... Because those who don't remember... Because those who don't remember the lessons of history are condemned to repeating mistakes of the past. Atta boy, Tyler. You're learning... So starting today, you're going to make notes of what you expect to see the next time and what you don't expect to see. Yes, sir. That's what being a professional is all about. Good for you, Tyler. Good for you. Now, how about some lunch? At Wanda's? Sure. I love Wanda's. Charlie, I think I need to talk with you about a lesson of history that I got. You know those crab cakes? Uh Uh-oh. Hey, Ryan. What's up, Tiffany? Before we start bantering about this episode, I figure we should probably tell everybody what GBA is. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. 
you have to tell them what GBA stands for because it's a mouthful. Come on, geoprovisional. See, I can't even say it. Geoprofessional Business Association isn't that hard to say. See, you almost stumbled there, didn't you? I totally did stumble. (laughs) And I think geoprofessionals is probably something people don't know what that means. But if you're in geotechnical engineering, environmental services, COMET, GBA is something where you can get a lot out of it. But what is that? What is a lot? What, What do you get from GBA, Tiffany? It's a bunch of professionals really willing to share their stories and their resources so that we can all make each other better in the industry. That was kind of foreign to me when I got exposed to it. Yeah, I had heard about GBA, but until I really got engaged and involved on committees, I didn't appreciate everything that GBA had to offer. And for me, the interaction that you talked about, making connections with other professionals in your field um, across the U.S., has been something that to me is probably more valuable even than everything else GBA provides. For sure. That's where we met. See, GBA is awesome just for that. But where you really, really get the best from GBA is by becoming a member firm, attending conferences and networking with your peers. So that's what I love about it personally. And it's not just geoprofessionals because like we've mentioned, I don't have anything to do with dirt. So we're going on and on about GBA. Yes, we love it. Learn more at their website, geoprofessional.org. But how about we jump into our opinions on this particular episode now? Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. So that was a short and sweet, interesting episode. What are your initial thoughts? I like this one a lot. In fact, I'm going to ask some other people to listen to it. I did kind of roll my eyes a little bit at the rehash of the who, what, when, why, where, but I think that's probably important enough in terms of the documentation and everything that it's worth repeating. So I didn't, I didn't hear a lot of new information, but sort of reframing it with respect to the, the briefing and, and a little bit of new stuff still worth listening to. At first, when I heard the briefing part, I, you know, I thought, okay, of course, they're going to talk before you go out to the job, but maybe not. Sometimes you might just get assignments and you head out there. So I thought that was good to emphasize that the project manager should make sure before you go out, you understand the project, the who, what, when, where, why, how, all that, you know, we've, uh, we've hammered that in the last episode, but it was a very good reminder from that perspective as well. So I liked that part of it. My favorite was how it talked about, you might not be the one to go out there next time. So make sure it's very clear at the end of your report, what you are expecting to see the next time. I I thought that was a very interesting way to frame it. Did you, do you guys do that at all? Or what'd you think about that? Our old daily field report template had that line, and I think it comes from that model daily field report that I've referenced before that GBA has, and we'll link to that in the show notes. But that is a good point because frequently you'll have your primary person that's doing the observation, but they can't always make it out there. So yeah, they might get briefed, but the next person to go out there might not. And the best they can do potentially is review that last field report to see what was done. And that would give them that information if you included that line about what is expected. So that was a good reminder to me and something that I want to make sure that we start to implement. 
Yeah, I agree. So what would that look like? Because when I first heard it, I'm like, well, why would you say what you expect next time? That feels weird. But when I really thought about it, I definitely do that. So, well, I did when I was in the field, right? And I definitely train our staff to do that as well. So let's say we're reviewing welds. We say at the beginning, we reviewed it, you know, in these areas. And here's what our findings were. The typical wrap up to that report might say something like, we anticipate reviewing X area during our next visit, and we need to follow up on the weld repairs for Y area. I do think that's definitely something we do, and it's unconscious for a lot of people. So we might not emphasize that with new staff members, but it's super important. Yeah, it sounds like it's become part of your process to the point where you don't think of it as something different or new. And we we certainly talk about, you know, visiting the site as requested, but we don't always say what we're going to be looking at. So are we going to be looking at footing subgrades or doing density testing on trench backfill? And that model DFR actually had a line that basically said, you know, what do you expect to see next time that you could fill out? That was kind of a different way of doing it than I'm used to, but we could certainly add a sentence at the end very easily to say what we expect to see next time. And what you said too about fixing anything that didn't meet the specs during your visit. I think that's another important thing that we're trying to track better. Yeah, good point. Okay, so we talked about wrapping it up with what you do expect to see. I didn't have any great ideas come to mind when he said what you don't expect to see. Did that part resonate with you at all? That was weird, and I was expecting them to explain that a little better, and I I didn't feel fully satisfied. I definitely noticed the technician's response to, you know, how am I supposed to see the future? And I didn't really get the best way to do that. You didn't either? No, I didn't. But I mean, if we hash it out for a second, so let's say you're out there and it's rained a lot and maybe the soils, you know, you're worried about that and you expect them to do some type of stability for it. I suppose there's something where you could say, you know, you discussed it with the contractor and they intended to do X. Therefore, if you saw them do Y, it might stand out. Yeah, I'm still still thinking about how that might apply to something. That's a good example. It's something to reflect on, I suppose. If you definitely discussed something with the contractor, put it in writing because that might lead to something you didn't expect to happen the next time you come out based on the conversation. So one of my other takeaways, I liked, I talked about it a little bit, but I liked the reminder that you might not always be the one that's going out the next time. I wanted to emphasize that we talk about legality on this podcast, probably enough to stress people out, but it is a good reminder that even if you know for certain you're going to be the one consistently going out there, you need those things in writing because somebody might ask you to pull up these reports six, seven, eight years from now, and you need to know what you had communicated and what you intended you know, to happen and what was discussed. So I think from that whole legal perspective, it was also a good reminder. Yeah. And projects go on hold sometimes too. And reminders to yourself as to what you were thinking and what you were looking at. And maybe that's not even in the field report itself, 
but they mentioned other ways of keeping track of things like chat channels and things like that, that that may be outdated, but some way to keep track of what the status of the project is. Because especially around COVID with, with some things that shut down, you might come back months. I mean, some projects go on hiatus for even longer. So being able to pick that back up right where you left off can be important. Definitely. Yeah, it could be weather, could be project funding, could be owner design change. A whole lot of things will lead to big gaps in projects and having those clear notes even for yourself is huge. Good point. One of the other things, well, there was a couple other things that stuck out to me. One was the briefing, not only about what you're expecting to see and not see about the contractor or whomever is doing the work, because he made a point that the field representative did not have experience working with one particular contractor, nor did the PM who was newer to the company. And the the wiser seasoned veteran indicated that you know they tried to get away with stuff and shortcut things. So briefing not only about the work, but about, I guess, the project team or contractor is something that I hadn't really thought much about, even though that kind of happens on projects. I think we have that conversation, but not intentionally. Yeah, I liked that reminder as well. And I think that applies really across the board in our industry, not just for field representatives, as he made sure to clarify, but project managers too. So for example, if I get a call, you know, I've never worked with somebody and they're like, oh yeah, we we know your company name. We love working with you. So we'd like some welds reviewed. Well, if I've never, if we've never done weld reviews for them, but our other groups have worked for them, I look in the system, see who are the project managers that have worked with the most. And I call them up and say, what do they like to work with? You know, do they pay on time? Are they good? Are they reasonable? Do they schedule appropriately? Or are we going to have to stay on top of them? And I think that was a good reminder, whether it's project management or anything, use that internal knowledge and find out the people I'm working with, what are they like? Uh, yeah, I, I loved that one. So um, I had two more. Sounds like you have another. I'll throw one out there really quick. I loved Charlie's advice that he gave. I liked his advice on how to respond if something was missed and the contractor's playing the whole, oh, we're buddies. You know, I wouldn't skip the rebar in the wall and like, you know, trying to get him to just sweep things under the rug. He said something to the effect of, you know, say something like, I trust you, but I have to do what my client asked and report it and then let them make the call. I felt like that was a really good little nugget of advice for newer field reps. If somebody's trying to like give you that whole nudge, hey, you know, I wouldn't have skirted around the requirements. You don't need to make a big deal out of this. You can say something as simple as that. Oh, hey, I trust you. You know, it's, it's not me. It's just I have to do my job and what the owner asked and report it and let them make the call. Right. Enough said. Don't put yourself in some terrible situation where you feel like they're, you know, trying to sway you and giving you hats and T-shirts. Right. Yeah. And that that was part of what I was going to bring up. But you're right. We've talked about this before, about you want to be civil and friendly with the contractor, but you don't want to let that influence how you do your work or your your judgment. And sometimes that's really hard to differentiate, especially for less experienced staff who might not be expecting contractors to do, to do things like that. Mm-hmm. So that, that was my other point was about the swag, right? 
I don't know that I've ever received a lot of swag from contractors, some certainly, but I've never been told of a policy about not accepting things like that from contractors. We even take clients out you know, to do things or give them gifts and stuff. And so maybe we don't think about it that way, but are you familiar or do you have policies about accepting swag, you know, t-shirts and hats from contractors? And the idea of reciprocating was interesting to me, like, oh, they gave me something, but I gave them something of equal value back. So we're even, I hadn't heard that before either. Yeah. A few things there. I don't think we have an official formal policy. And if we do, we've never, you know, had to make a big deal out of it. I do agree with you that we buy things for our clients and sometimes contractors act like we're their client and they buy us stuff. I also agree with you that I found it interesting that he said to reciprocate with something. That's a lot of times not realistic. I say in my world, the main one contractor who always tried to buy me stuff was this painting company owned by this guy who's just you know, a fun-loving, very giving guy he bought for everybody at the refinery we worked at. If you went to lunch and you didn't let him pay, he was going to get very mad. Like it went against his culture, right? To not buy for people. That was tough sometimes. So I was like, I just want to buy my own lunch so that I don't feel pressured. But I also know that when something was wrong, I'd tell him something was wrong and he'd take care of it. Even if it was really bad news, like, hey, you're going to have to redo all this stuff that's going to take tons and tons of hours. So I didn't feel pressured by having taken, you know, some meals. General contractors, earthwork contractors, people whose work we're looking at, I can't really remember ever getting anything from them, but specialty like foundation subcontractors or Drillers certainly give us stuff all the time. I always joke about geotechs are kind of the lowest on the food chain. And uh, we, we hire the drillers, so the drillers are the only ones that market us. I guess lunch is a good example because I've certainly had contractors take folks out to lunch. Or even buy us ice cream on those hot days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. We, and we've hammered bribes a lot before. I think uh, we referenced that episode if you want to hear more opinions on the whole bribe thing. But I didn't think that was a big deal in this one. Yeah, it's interesting that you frame it that way because in some cases it is that, right? They're giving you things to get special treatment, but there are a lot of just nice people that like enjoy working with you and want to give you something. So I think it's something that maybe you gain from experience. What's the expectation here? Having a company policy about that, I think is a really good idea because it's not something I've ever heard about or even considered being a problem before I heard him say that. Mm, I don't want another policy, you know, because they'll have to be like, oh, don't think anything valued more than $10. And then if it's an $11 lunch, you feel bad. Yeah, I don't want to go there. <laughs> Public agencies have those very explicit things like they won't even let you buy them lunch. Yeah, so. $5 rule for the one that I deal with the most. So I, it's funny, I actually just ordered some post-it notes with our logos to give to them because I know they're under $5. But you can only give them one pack. Seven. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Seven post-its? <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yep. Peel them off. <laughs> All right. So my last little thing that stood out was when he talked about, you know, it was a passive part of it, but I really liked it when, who was the field guy again? Tyler. Okay. 
I really liked it when Tyler kind of made the passive comment about not wanting to work with that guy named Butch and he would try to get somebody else to be the field rep on that job. You know, they went back and forth and in the end he's like, but I know you would make me go and just grow thick skin. I really thought that was a good just thing to highlight a little bit for newer field staff. We've talked about it before. You'll get in situations where people can be jerks and they don't like what you're telling them. But I mean, somebody who manages a department, when we have staff who just consistently can't get along with people and you can't staff them on jobs, that's very frustrating. You're not valuable at that point. So that is something that you got to figure out earlier in, in your career, how to just let some of those things blow off, walk away, not get super frustrated. You know, we all, I still, I have a client that drives me crazy right now. He's just super rude. And, you know, I have to figure out how to just kind of smooth things over with him all the time. In the end, I know that he's not really that much of a jerk and he's actually a nice client. Sometimes he just comes off like a total jerk. So that will never go away. You got to figure out how to deal with those situations. Yeah. And I I didn't pick that up specifically, but I like how you frame that. And I've had some of those conversations recently about a contractor that was scheduling us to be out on the site and sort of talking through it with our field representative about no, that's probably not their intention. And, you know, there's lots of things going on with scheduling because um, our field representative felt sort of taken advantage of like this contractor expecting them to be out there, you know, at the drop of a hat without scheduling it in advance and things like that. And I said, he's got multiple contractors he's working with and who knows what else going on. So yeah, we've, we've certainly had those conversations recently. All right. Did you have any other key points? Are you ready to wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. All right. So I guess my takeaways, I liked this one. It was short and sweet. And I think we're wrapping up this series by emphasizing, know what you're going out to the job for, have a good conversation with your project manager, discuss, you know, who you're going to be working with, how to communicate, what the expectations are on the site, and make sure you wrap up your reports really clearly with direction for yourself or that next person who's going out there. So I liked it. Yep, I did too. And again, we'll link to that model daily field report that has a lot of the information they talked about directly in there. So you can see how other people have implemented that. Well, we hope you enjoyed this series and please make sure to give us feedback and definitely reach out and let us know if there's anything else you'd like us to focus on for our next podcast series. Thank you for joining us for this episode of GBA's audio education series. We hope you found this conversation valuable and can use what you learned here. Links to the original audio and all the resources we mentioned are included in the show notes. But before you go, don't forget to give us a review, hopefully five stars, and subscribe to the GBA podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes.